This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Thanks for joining me on the Football CFB podcast, Alan. It's a pleasure to have you. No, thank you. Pleasure to be on. Um, first question I'd like to start. Um, before we go on to your playing career and your managerial career, what are you up to now? Obviously, you've been out the game in a, in a coaching capacity um, and professional level for a while, but what are you yeah. up to now? Uh, well, to, to be honest, I've... I wanted a little bit of time out after the last one because circumstances, you know, that that led to obviously me leaving St Mirren. Um, I just, to be honest, found it very odd, especially after the, you know a club um, that hired in the summer, and you know there, there was obviously a lot of things not right behind the scenes. You've got to be able to have a chance to be able to put them things right, but but it, but it wasn't. They decided against it for whatever reasons, you know. And, and you move on, uh, and it's it's a time when you you reflect thing on things that you could have done better. Things, why did you take it? You know. So it's it, it's one of them. It's a time of reflection, and it's been good. It's given me a chance to think about it. Uh, it's given me a chance to think why did I rush back into football. Um, because it's it is so true that you know you have to be very careful uh, in terms of you know the clubs and the people that you work with. Um, so I've been doing a bit of coaching. Um, I've I've set up you know my own company to do that, uh, which is going really well. Um, and I've been going to watch games and watch watch me son play, which has been really good because I've not had a chance to do that for a long time. In terms of your son as a player. Being a, a footballer like yourself who played at the highest level in Scotland and England, won trophies, do you try and give him as much advice as you can or do you just try and encourage him from, from afar? Yeah, I, I think I do. I think I've, I've, it's very much, a, I'm not a really a hands-on with him, you know, because I'm there for advice if he needs it, you know, but at the end of the day, He's the only person that can help himself when he's on the pitch, you know, and, and a lot of it is, you know, we do a lot of stuff after the game. So we talk about, you know, what he could have done better, what was good, you know, keep doing the, them them things, whether they're the right things, um, you know, and but I leave a lot of it up to his, up to his manager and the coaches that he's working with because... I don't want to be saying one thing and he's getting told something completely different off off who are the most important in terms of his coaches and managers. So I tend not to not to get involved, you know, unless he really, you know, comes to me and asks me what's my opinion. I'd like to remind now to yourself, Alan, before we get to your professional career, yeah. when did you start playing and were you always a centre half when you were younger? No, I wasn't. Um I was 
you know, I started like any other little little child. You know, I had from a from a from a very young age. You know, born born and grew up an Everton fan. Wanted to play for Everton. One day that was the dream. Um, and started playing from about well, I started kicking the ball from from an early age, four, five, six, and then started playing then locally just for the local teams. You know, at, at seven and eight and nine and. I was a striker at the time. Um, grew up leading goal scorers, and um, and then as I was like 10, 11, I got moved to um, like a left wing position. I don't know how, but <laughs> I thought that's where I got moved to, and uh, I played there for a while. And then um, after another another little bit of time and <clears throat> with a different team, I started playing in in central midfield. Uh, really enjoyed it there. And that's when probably I started to have my, my real growth space. You know, I wasn't I wasn't the biggest when I was young. Um but it was probably from the age of thirteen upwards I started to really, you know, really grow then and um it wasn't until uh well I got released at Everton around that time and then I went to Bolton, and it wasn't until I went to Bolton, really, that just by chance, when I was about 16, uh, there was a couple of injuries at centre-half, and uh, I got asked to play play there. Probably more so because I'd, I'd started to grow and it was, 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 was a decent size. Uh, and then from, the, from then on, that was my position. Who were your football and heroes growing up? You mentioned there you're a, a massive Everton fan. Who did you look up to growing up? Yeah. My main two at Everton were uh, Peter Reid and Graeme Sharp. They were the two that I, I looked up to. Um, but, but further afield, and I'm not um, not proud to say this, you know, I did admire um, Alan Hansen at Liverpool at the time, um, who was, you know, so comfortable on the ball, and, and that's the way I wanted to try and play uh, at that time. And from a midfield point of view, Glenn Hoddle. So they were the, you know, from the different clubs, they were the, the players that, are, that, are, that are, you know, I liked watching. From playing as a, a youth player, as you mentioned, different positions, striker, left wing, you joined Bolton and that, as you say, that's when you, you really started to have your growth spot, that's when you become a centre-half. When did you first think you had a chance of making it as a professional at the club? Um, probably really only when I was around about 17 you know I think at 16 the aspirations they start to get a little bit more real because you know you, you're off I was offered a at that time it was called a, a YTS which is like a scholarship now um, and then you suddenly it starts to get a little bit more more serious and more real and that you know you're getting closer to that uh, professional stage um, but you've still got a long way to go. Uh, and it was only when I'm probably, you know, getting to like 17 when you're playing um, reserve team football and you're mixing with, with the older players is that you start to, you know, get a little bit more bit more confidence. Um, I think you start to get a bit more respect off the senior players or the older players that sometimes you're playing with. And as well as that, the players that are similar levels here because they they realise that you know that you've like you start to show 
something, and you and you probably and you, at that time you're probably one of the stronger players in that group. When you obviously sign your professional contract and you make your debut, how proud a feeling is that, and what was it like for you? Um, it, it's obviously it's obviously a proud a proud day for for every every player, you know, when when that time comes. But I think it's even even more proud for for your family. You know, I think they they take a real sense of sense of pride and and satisfaction that you know because because they're the ones who probably make the biggest sacrifices in terms of you know getting getting you from A to B at such a young age. You know, basically they are your personal taxi. You know, your your parents getting off work early to get you to a game or get you to training. You know, and as a young as a young lad, you don't necessarily understand and appreciate that. You just think. That's what that's what your mums and dads do automatically. Um, so, so from my point of view, it was obviously a great a great time to to, to realise all the hard work that you'd put in previously in the previous years had, had come to fruition, and you've and you had got it. But I think from my point of view, when I look back now, some I think some players think when they've got a professional contract now. That's them made it. For me, that was just the start of the journey. Mm. All it was was a title. You know, a prof- once you once you sign that professional first contract, it's just a piece of paper and a title. You know, the hard the hard work starts then, because you've got everybody in front of you and behind you wanting to take your place. You know, so that that's where for me the the hard work starts. Where I think some I think nowadays, a little bit of it is 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 the kudos of oh yes, I've, I've signed a professional contract, and that's it. And some players, I think, think that's the that's it. They've made it. They've done it. For me, that's just the start. Being an Everton fanatic, see when you're working under Phil Neal, who's a, a Liverpool legend and Champions League winner multiple times with them, was that strange for you at all? Yeah. Um, a little bit. Probably didn't think about it too much, you know. And I'll, I'll always be grateful for Phil who gave me the chance, really. You know, but I didn't necessarily then have a lot of time with Phil there, you know, from the first team point of view because he left. And then it was really only when Bruce Rioch came in that, that things started, started to really flourish. Not just for myself, but for the club and all. You mentioned Bruce Rioch there, and he did a, a really incredible job at Bolton. Obviously, he went on to manage Arsenal a wee bit further down the line. What was he like as a manager for yeah. you in the club? Because he was very successful at that time, and he had a big reputation within football. Well, he was. I can only speak about people how... I, how I find them, you know, and he was, he was, he was brilliant with me. He was like, uh, he, he took me under, well, he took me, myself and Jason McAteer under his wing, and he probably re- realised that he had, you know, a couple of players on that were going to go further than than that level that they were playing at that time, and he, he become a bit of a father figure to us within the club, and really protected us and, and looked after us and. He was great for me. I really, you know, probably one of the most influential in my career up there with, with you know, the likes of Martin Neal and, and David Moyes and, you know, and a couple of others. But um, 
to some, they probably would have would not have liked him. You know, he had a if you got on the wrong side of Bruce, you know, then he could make it very difficult for you. But uh, but for me personally, he was he was brilliant. He was fantastic. You mentioned Jason McAteer there. What a character he is. Was was he a joy to play with? Just because he seems like a maverick from the outside looking in. Yeah, he was. You know, he was Jason. Jason was a little bit, little bit dizzy. Um, <laughs> you know, he was probably at, at the butt of a lot of jokes, and a lot of them jokes he probably created himself by by saying the wrong thing. You know, which I think sometimes you looked at him and thought, surely he hasn't just said that. You know, because <laughs> it, it did sound as if like it was really daft. And, and, and some, I think sometimes because they were that bad. You used to think that he was actually taking taking the Mickey, thinking surely he, he can't be thinking that, but he was actually he actually was, um, and you know he was he was a, he was a great character. He you know he obviously for our team at the time he had he had a, he had a you know a lot of ability. He had great energy um, in that midfield. You know along with the early days of you know a couple of others who were there with you know local lad called Tony Kelly. Um, Steve Thompson. We were we were we were we were decent, but Jason was he was um, he was great fun in the dressing room as well as being you know obviously a you know a really good player. Uh, and we got on we got on really well. We got on really well at the time. We travelled in together, uh, shared the car. So you know so yes yeah, so we you know we go back a long way. You won a, a first promotion with the club, and then you're made captain soon afterwards. And really, to be honest with you, when you're the captain in ninety four ninety five, it's one of the best seasons Bolton had had in many years. When when the club get to Wembley twice, before we talk about that season, what yeah. was it like getting named captain? Was that a really proud moment for yourself? And did you always see yourself as a potential captain in football? I, I, yeah, it was. It was you know because I was you know at the time I was a really I was a young captain and we had a lot of experienced players in the dressing room, you know so. I think it could have been it could have been intimidating, you know, for for some. But I think because I was there was a lot of talk around me, you know, moving on to a bigger club at the time. I think the players respected that I was one of the more talented players in that group, as well as the other talented players. Um, and I think they made they made it easier for me. Whereas, you know, I think in some clubs. Some some of the senior players might have looked upon that as in, you know, why is why is why is a young lad getting a captaincy before a more senior player? Um, so you know, and it was it, I think it was a lot of that was because we had we had a really good dressing room and all. With that season, the club gets to the the League Cup final for the first time in their history, and then when you get there, obviously it's Liverpool yeah. you have to play. What was the thoughts going into the game? Did you think you had a chance of winning or were you a wee bit apprehensive going in because Liverpool obviously being such a great team in, in the 90s, at yeah. the start of the 90s, they were still still a team that were challenging? Well, I think we, we, we were obviously massive underdogs, you know, going into the game in terms of, you know, the players that Liverpool had at that time. And we were, you know, basically looked upon as, as little Bolton you know, trying to cause an upset, and we we obviously had done in the previous rounds with with some of the teams that we beat. Um, but we had, even though we were 
we were the underdogs in terms of relating us to Liverpool. In terms of ability, you know, we had, I, I think we, we probably would have had maybe three or four players in our team that probably Liverpool would have wanted. Um, and it was, you know, we, we, I think we lost the game 2-1. Um, and it was a close game. Liverpool went 2-0 up. Uh, we got back into the game. And to be honest, we had a few chances where, you know, late on where, or not late on in the game, where we could have easily levelled and it would have made it interesting. But, you know, I think we put up a really good a good show against, you know, a team that was, that cost a bit of money to, to put together. So, great experience. You know, it's a shame that, obviously, extra motivation for me because it was Liverpool and being an Everton fan. Um, so, you know, yeah, disappointed, but, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was a great day apart from the result. After talking about that playoff final, you go into it, it's a chance yeah. for Bolton to return to the top flight. You trail 2-0 to Reading for, for a lot of that game. How how did that how was that game from your perspective? Because you think on it from two two, sorry from two 0 to two two extra time and then to go on to win four three absolutely mental. It was it was literally that's probably a good way to describe it because you know we we come into the dressing room at half time and I, and I'm pretty sure we were two 0 down yeah and it was like. You know, it was either feel sorry for yourself or, listen, the next goal is really important. If we get it, you know, we're back, right back in this game. Um, and fortunately for us, you know, that's how it basically materialised and panned out. And we managed to get ourselves back in the game. We didn't play well in the first half. Um, you know, in the second half, once we once we got that first goal, it not just lifted us, but it lifted lifted the fans and you know we, we, we started to gain a bit of momentum um, you know and then obviously you know we, we eventually you know through it was probably you know one of the biggest roller coasters I've been on in terms of emotions um, we managed to, to pull through and you know and, and get that win and get promoted which was which was you know a brilliant, a brilliant occasion you know for, 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 the, for, the, for the fans and for the players. When you win promotion um, in that mental way, um, it must be incredible. And I imagine the, the celebrations continued on for quite a few days after it. Yeah, yeah. You know, they did. You know, we had a few lads, you know, in, in that dressing room and all that wouldn't have minded, you know, socialising and, you know, and, and enjoying themselves. So, you know, that did go on. Um you don't necessarily have time to really sometimes um, fly on it because before you know it, all your all your thoughts are then moving towards, you know, going away on holiday, enjoying yourself, resting, and then seeing how the club, you know, are going to approach the, the Premier League at that time and what, which players the clubs are going to be interested in. So it was it was brilliant, you know. It's something I'll always cherish and remember, because um, you know going to Wembley, it, there's always there's something special about doing it through the playoffs. Even though from a nerves point of view and pressure point of view, you know you you wouldn't put anybody through it if you had the choice. 
But it, it is it is a great spectacle when you when you see it now. You know, even going through the playoffs, that that one-off game. You know, as they say now, the richest game in 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 football. You know, speaks volumes. Bruce Rio leaves the club and departs to Arsenal, and he did attempt to take you yeah. with him to Arsenal. How was that situation for yeah. you? Because I can imagine when you get interest from such a historic club like Arsenal, it can turn your head a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it could. You know, but I think at that at that time when Arsenal were interested, or whether it was Bruce wanted me, it wasn't. They were interested. Bruce wanted to take me. Um, and I think what happened just before we found out about the Arsenal stuff was that Celtic had put a bid in. Um, Tommy Burns, the manager at the time, you know, had acted really, really quickly. I think he'd, he'd realised that there was going to be a bit of interest, and he thought he'd try and steal a march on on other teams. And it was it was probably only a week after after the, our last game of the season um, that the bid came in and. I had a phone call from Colin Todd, the manager at the time, and said, you know, that they've accepted the bids. I'm, I'm free to talk to Celtic. And then the day I was due to drive up to Celtic, that's where the Arsenal stuff started to get, you know, a lot more a lot more serious. And I'm driving to Glasgow and, you know, my agent's on the phone to, to Bruce, you know, and, and as we get about half an hour from outside Glasgow, um... Bruce basically rings up and says, listen, uh, just give me 10 minutes and I'll know whether this is going to happen or not. You know, the the, yeah, the fee won't be a problem, yeah, wages won't be a problem, but, uh, but there's a potential situation at the club that could affect it. So anyway, he got a phone call 10 minutes later and he said, listen, you know, I really would have loved to sign you, but I've got a problem here that's going to going to raise its head in terms of, I think there was a situation with Ian Wright at the time. Yeah. Uh, and he said, I think I'm going to be getting the sack. So, so we said, go and sign for Celtic, unless there's anything else. So anyway, I, um, we carried on to Celtic and, and and we signed for, for the club later on. Well, we had a medical that day and then we signed the following day. Joining Celtic, obviously, being from Liverpool, growing up an Everton fan, being invested in English football emotionally, what did you know about Celtic before you came to the club? Well, I knew it was a big club, but I probably didn't appreciate how big of a club it was, uh, if I'm being really honest. Um, you know, I, I get shown around the stadium by Tommy, Tommy and, and you know his staff, and I was I was nothing but impressed not just by the stadium, you know, even though it wasn't fully completed then, by by Tommy himself, you know, he was, you could just see his passion for for the club, uh, for, for what he was trying to do there, you know, and it was it was an easy decision in the end to, to sign, you know, mostly because of, you know, the plans that, and, and where Tommy seen me, you know, being pivotal in, in what he wants to do. You mentioned Tommy Burns there, obviously signing you. He's a, a he's someone who's a legend of Scottish football and and a, and a Celtic legend, yeah. and rightly so. I spoke I've spoken to a few people in the podcast so far who have only got nice words and funny stories to to tell about Tommy. What was he like from your perspective to work with? Um, he was he was just a, he was just a lovely guy. Um, you know, if anything, he he was 
he was the bit that probably hindered, you know, himself sometimes was the fact that he was just so passionate about Celtic and he was desperate for them to do well. And sometimes that didn't help him as an individual, probably when he was managing, because he took it so personal. Um, whereas some managers, you know, can distance themselves and they trust themselves down and move on. Tommy, Tommy, it was, you know, it was everything for him, and rightly so. Um, players loved him. Just a, just a, a, a real, real top guy. First and foremost, you know, whenever you're, you're judging anybody, I always judge them as a person before, before a professional, um, and, and as a person. He was a, he was just a, an incredible guy. Um, couldn't do enough for anybody if he had a, if he had something or a situation. Couldn't do enough to try and help, um, both professionally and personally. You know, and and obviously you know he he sad, sadly missed, but someone who you know I've got so many fond memories of. In that first season, you play a lot of football. The, the team does remarkably. Yeah, well, but obviously in the end, just comes up short to Rangers, yeah. who clinched that ninth successive title. How tough was that to take yeah. for the club in the dressing room? Because obviously, get into the next season when they could potentially win a ten in a row, the pressure is ramped up like never before. Yeah, it was tough because you know we'd we'd obviously done reasonably well that season, but we we drew too many games, which was which was the bit that. Haters in the end, um, and and obviously Rangers went on to you know to win the title that year. Um, you know Rangers at that time was probably as strong a, a side that they've ever had in the history of the club. You know when you look 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 at the likes of the players that were there. You know at the time. Um, so for us to try and stop them doing ten in a row, we quickly realised, especially the lads who. Who obviously were in Scottish, or you know the foreign lads, and you know myself and a couple. Of, we suddenly realised and were told in no certain terms how big ten in a row was, um, and the pressure that season was just incredible. You know, really was. It was, it was, it was good pressure. Then it was, it was horrendously bad pressure. You know, and and this is what you had to deal with week in and week out um, from. From one week winning and Rangers losing, and you suddenly go, you know, a point or three points clear to losing, and then Rangers close the gap, and then Rangers go ahead. It was just, it was a seesaw season. Um, but the, the biggest thing that got us through that season, you know, was was our team spirit and and our and our kind of camaraderie amongst each other because we had a, we had an unbelievable dressing room, uh, and it probably needed to be because of. You know, you were, you were written off from one weekend, uh, and then the next weekend you were back in it, and it, it was just so up and down. You know, the press coverage of that season was was so intense, um, and we, we 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 as a group decided, you know, we listen, we can't listen to to the outside noise because if we do, it'll just affect us too much, and we we as a group, you know, basically closed shop in a way to not let people affect us and you know we'll we'll do what we want to do in terms of you know let's make sure that our bond is really strong we go out together and we stay together 
Um, we stick together, and it was we had a, we had an we had a brilliant <coughs> excuse me we had a brilliant team spirit. You mentioned the team spirit that season, and before we talk about that season a wee bit more in depth, one of the best remembered moments of your Celtic career and that season was your injury time goal against Rangers to draw one each. Describe yeah. that moment for me. Yeah. Um. Well, obviously it was it was it was euphoria in the in the stadium because you know even though we'd obviously drew the game, it felt morally like a win. Because you know it was so late in the game, um, you know I thought we you know we deserved at least a point from the game, and, and obviously to snatch a draw at that, in, in in that circumstances, I think really seemed to affect Rangers the team. You know they knew that we were we, we were getting closer. They knew that we were in for in, up for a fight. Um, you know, and it was it. it a lot of people will look at that goal and say that was the t- that was a turning point in the, in the season. I'm not too sure. I think there was there was there was other, there would, would have been another other um, turning points in that season. But at that at that time, it felt so so big that moment in terms of even for us, it seemed to give us momentum uh, going into the rest of the season. So um, personally, it was great. Uh, it's always great to, to to help the team, but obviously against Rangers, it seems to take on more more importance and more significance. What was it like working under Vim Janssen, and how did it feel for you to pick up your first winners' medal, winning that League Cup final against Dundee United? Vim was Vim was 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 very different to what I'd ever come across before in terms of his management style. You know, he was a very quiet. Uh, unassuming guy, you know. I think a lot of people when 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 Vim first came was it was Vim who, because they'd never heard of him, um, and he, he you know he quickly, you know, got the respect of the players in terms of how he was. He was a very calming influence with ev- with everybody, and we had a strong dressing room, and everybody, you know, I, I think especially like the British lads in terms of like. Craig Bailey, myself, Tommy Johnson, you know, um, and even the Scottish lads, you know, they probably wouldn't have come across a style of management like that before. Um, he just went away very quietly, spoke very quietly, would never get caught up in the emotions, you know, of of a, of a game or or, or a scoreline. Um, and, and I liked it. I, I I really liked it, and I think a lot, a lot of the other lads did. You know, he was he was very uh, articulate uh, in the way he planned um, and very clever. I have to ask you, obviously, about a guy you just mentioned there, just why you mentioned him, Craig Burley. Big personality, big character. What was he like to have in and around the dressing room that season? He was, he was, Butler was great. You know, he was... He was obviously he is a character. Is uh, you know I, I, we we got on well. It was obviously myself, Tommy, uh, and 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 Craig who you know we travel in together, so we lived close by each other. And and Craig was certainly certainly a character. You know he had a a voice in the dressing room. Um, he was part of the group that you know would 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 get everybody out together and. You know, and he was he was a big player for us on the pitch in terms of his you know his, his goals that he that he that he came up with. You know, he was such a a driving force. 
you know, with obviously himself, Paul Lambert in that midfield and all, you know, they they they, they complemented each other really well. Have to also ask you about Henrik Larsson. Just how good a player was he during your time at Celtic? Um, incredible. Basically, you know, probably you know the early part of it was was probably Henrik's most difficult part yep. in terms of his, what he did after that. You know, I think everybody when he first came were were like you know similar to mine. He got sent off early on. Um, you know, didn't necessarily, you know, set the world on fire early, early on. But then, you know, I think it was more of, of, along the lines of he was getting to know each other, the the culture, the style of football. He was, you know, seeing things. He was seeing the players. You know, he, he spoke language language really well. But he was he wasn't necessarily, you know, open and his arms for everybody to, you know, to, to get involved. He was a little bit standoffish when he first came. And then we started to obviously, you know, go out for lunch where all the players had to go. And if anyone wants to sell after that, they could. If anyone wants to go home, they could. And then you started to see Henrik's personality, you know, slowly but surely come out. And then obviously at the end, you know, in terms of what he did for the club, you know, was was incredible. He was he was right up there with with the best I've played with. You know, um, he was a special special player <clears throat> in the end. Um, and I'm and I'm you know obviously no one no one will ever take away with what he did at Celtic. But for me personally, in terms of talking about Henrik, I was glad in a way that he did move to United at the end and then Barcelona because I think people in terms of wouldn't have realised how good he was because they would have said, oh, then this is a this was a, a wrong thing for them to think of, is that, oh, we only done it in Scotland. So the fact that he did move to Man United and he, and he did well there and he did does go to Barcelona, you know, proves how good of a player he really was. That season you mentioned the team spirit, it was a, it was a big thing, you've been in record of saying that before. When the, the club finally clinches the title at home, Harold Brackback gets the goal. How incredible yeah. a moment is that for, 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 for all the players, the management team, considering the pressure that was on that season was arguably the most intense it had ever been on any Celtic team? I think it was relief. I've got to be honest, at the end of the season, I, yes, we, we, we enjoyed it, but I think the, the, the overriding feeling at the end of that game was, was just relief. The fact that we, we hadn't let anybody down. We'd managed to stop Rangers doing 10 in a row, which, you know, is, to this day, is obviously such a significant uh, milestone for anybody to, to try and get to or stop, which we're going to obviously find out next season. Um, the, the, the same type of thing. And I've got to be, I've got to be honest here, is that if Rangers players found this season tough in terms of pressure, then God help them next season. You know, they wouldn't have not. If they've struggled to handle the pressure this season, then they're potentially going to need a new team, you know, to, to deal with the pressures that come next season. Yep. Because they would never have encountered anything like it in their life. 
as you say, I think that's spot on because you've been through it, the experience of actually living yeah. it as well. As you say, you're the best person to, to talk on that. And obviously, you stopped 10 in a row. It's such a big moment. Vim Janssen is, is, is leaving the club. Dr. Joe Vengloss comes in. And obviously, I have to ask you about Lobo Baravchik. He comes in. A lot of people in Scotland don't know who he is. A lot of the I spoke to Jock Brown recently, um, and he said obviously that Joe Vengloss had been waxing lyrical about him, and that's why they backed him to bring him in. They didn't really know an awful lot about him either. How good was yeah. he? Well, I think the best thing that that Joe Vengloss will be remembered for will, will be Lubo Mravchik. You know, because he was he was a he was a very different style of coaching and you know it didn't necessarily work out as as well you know replacing Vim it was always going to be difficult because I think the fans really grew with, with Vim Janssen and you know everyone was shocked at the end when 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 well, obviously Vim left and uh, Lubo was Lubo was was a magician with 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 the ball he was incredible his his technical ability left and right foot was was as good as what had seen on any player ever. You know, he was, you know, he was, he, he, his language barrier was was a, was a little problem when he first came. He didn't necessarily speak a lot of the language. Uh, it was very broken in terms of the words that he that he that he could speak. But on the pitch, was wow. You know, and um, special player. You know, or you, you look you look at him and you don't think much, and then you put him on a pitch or the trainer pitch, and he does, you know, he does things with the ball that, you know, on occasions it leaves you, you know, with your with your mouth open, and you're thinking, wow, how has he just done that? You know, he was, and and I think that was the start of of the team really starting to evolve, and you know bring a lot more quality, you know, to it, uh, in terms of like himself there at the time, then Paolo the Canio came and you've got obviously got Henrik in the mix and you suddenly look at that and you start to see the club really looking to the next stage and kick on and you know, and with them players you look at it, it attracts other players and you know, there was a but Lubo was a was a was a brilliant, brilliant player. You mentioned we mentioned big characters like Craig Burley. Decanio is a different level of character. Was he difficult to work with, or was he a joy? No, he wasn't. He wasn't difficult at all. You know, I think sometimes people from the outside who are looking in look at him and and they sometimes see what they want to see. Uh, whereas we 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 see the real Paolo, uh, and he was a caring, a caring player. Yes, he had his moments where. You know, he was a little bit volatile and temperamental. But once you you see him through that, you know, all he wanted was to was to play well, was for the team to win. Um, and he and his and his standards that he set in training were were as good as what I've seen from any foreign player. You know, he was one of the one of the best hard working players I've I've come across in terms of you know how he applied himself on the pitch, looked after himself in the gym. You know, he was he was an example. One of the big moments in your Celtic career, Alan, and a very challenging moment for yourself was obviously after the nineteen ninety nine Scottish Cup final. It's a defeat to Rangers. That's hard to take in itself. But when it comes to your health, football yeah. is really put into perspective, and 
it was revealed around that time that you were suffering from testicular cancer. Just how hard is that to yeah. take, especially when you're doing so well at Celtic? The fans are, I've got a real warmth for you, and you get that news. Do you worry your career's over? Do you just what, what goes through your mind in such a, a tough thing? Well, I think the, the, the first thing was, you know, straight away after the game, you know, I was pulled aside and told that I was one of the chosen ones for the drug test, and which. For me, I was I wasn't happy about it in the first place anyway because I just wanted to be back in the dressing room with my teammates and you know be be with them obviously because you know it was such a, a disappointing you know result to lose one nil in the cup final. Um, so so from that point of view, I was you know I wasn't happy already, and then you have to, you have to. The, the, the test, which was which, which was a, a urine sample, uh, which can take sometimes it can take five minutes, sometimes it can take four hours. It all depends <laughs> on you know. I, I imagine after the game you you are dehydrated, yeah. so it's it's not the easiest of time to 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 pass urine, and you know it's, a, it's about getting fluids back in your body and as quickly as you can. Um, but even then, you know, some, for some players, it can take you know three, four hours. Um, so then I had that, and then realistically, I've got to be honest. The next time I thought about it was only was only when I got a phone call off, off the club doctor, Jack Mohair, about I think it could have been two or three weeks later, and I was on the golf course I was with, a, with an old teammate from Bolton, uh, Mark Seagraves, playing golf, and basically Jack rings me up, didn't know the number, answered the call, and he said, uh, hi Alan, he said, it's Jack Mohan. I said, ah, hello Jack, how are you? He went, uh, I'm good. He said, how are you? I said, yeah, really good, Jack, you know, no problem at all. He said, uh, do you feel any different lately? And I've gone, no, and I'm, I'm next minute I was thinking, Where's, why is Jack ringing me? And then he goes, Alan, the reason why I'm ringing you, he said, uh, your, your drug test has come back positive. So straight away, you know, you're thinking drug tests, drugs, which I knew couldn't have been possible because obviously, you know, it's the last thing that I would have touched. And uh, and he asked me the question. He said, um, you know, I know. I said, have you been have you, have you been taking it? He said, obviously, Jack. You know the answers. And I said, yes, I know that. He said, well, listen. He said, he said, what you've what they found is normally only found in pregnant women but when it's found in men it's linked to cancer so he said that's why I've asked the question how are you, how are you feeling if you don't feel any difference any recently and I've gone no and he said what about obviously your testicle have you have you checked it you know does it feel any difference and I've gone no and he went okay he said listen we need to we need to bring it up just to just to um, try and clarify this he said, I'm sure it would be nothing. He said, but we just need to do some checks. So anyway, the club sent a car for me. Um, this was on the on the the Friday. I was I was I had me me checks with the, the specialist on the Friday afternoon, and I was having the operation on the Monday. Um, so and that was it was I've got to, I must admit it was a pretty straightforward. Operation when I, I I had the ultrasound first before that, um, it was obvious that you know one of the testicles was was like was like a black colour part of it, and it shouldn't have been that colour. And obviously that was the cancer. 
So uh, I had basically had a, a hernia operation, um, so and then they done a biopsy on the on the testicle. It was found to be uh, dormant, nothing nothing spreading, and they were happy. Um, and as far as they were concerned, you know, I could I could go back playing. And so literally, all, all from from the day I had the operation to being back playing again, I probably missed four weeks. That was all it was. You know, I was back back playing normally, joining uh, in pre-season. It was fine. Um, it was only then the, the the more serious one. Obviously, was was about. 14, 15 months later, where when I'd had a relapse, and only for me having the regular checkups from the first one was with the reason why they found it so so soon and so early, um, and that was the more serious one. You know, that was the one where, you know, they I was speaking to the specialists. The I was going to have to have chemotherapy uh, with that one because they found a tumor at the base of my spine, um, and they wanted to. Hit it with chemotherapy first, see how it see how it reacted, um, and there was there was a few things what the chemotherapy would do. They would either reduce it in in size, they would it would slow the growth, or it would obliterate it in terms of you know remove it. Um, so I had the first course, um, didn't feel no problems to it really really. I had the second course of chemotherapy, uh, and then we I had a scan straight away. And luckily enough, the, the tumour had showed signs of of reducing in size. Um, and that's when they decided, right, we're going to go in and operate straight away. Um, and I literally had, you know, basically a day or two to think about it. Well, I didn't have really a day or two really. I, as soon as they said, listen, we want to go and operate, it was just a matter of saying, okay, yeah, well, when, you know, when do you want to do it? Um, two days later, I was in the operating theatre and, and, you know, for for eight, I think it was around about eight hours, um, cut me open right down the front of my stomach, breast, from your breastbone downwards, removed everything to get to the tumour, you know, and, and, and that was the more serious one, really. You know, that was the one that, I didn't probably appreciate how serious it was, you know, until I came out of the out of the theatre and I asked I asked the you know, the high dependency nurse who was looking after me at the time, you know, how serious it was and she said, Well you you could have easily died in the operating theatre. Wow. And as soon as she said that, you know, it that was really when it really only hit home, you know, how serious the operation um was. I'm obviously I'm I'm twenty four. There's lots of young males out there who, well, yourself has been through this. John Hartson's been through it. Um, Jeff Horsfield yeah. down south. There's been so many players through it, and and all the players, yourself included, have always said, please check what your testicles. Please check what's going on, and and, and make sure if you've got any concerns, you get everything dealt with as soon as possible. What message would you give mm. to to anyone out there, especially young males listening to this, um, about obviously checking up on themselves? I think the biggest thing is that is is making people aware of 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 what goes on because I think over the last maybe I think ten or fifteen years I think 
men men are starting to break down the barriers of of not speaking about anything which doesn't feel right. Um, there, there, there has been a, a vado about men speaking about you know personal issues, whether it's with the doctor, whether it's with the the wives, whether it's with the, the girlfriends, family. You know, it, it's I think there's a thing about men that they don't like to talk about them things, and I, and I think them barriers are starting to be be gradually broken down. You know, the fact that um, there's more publicity um, around lots of different illnesses, not just cancers now, helps helps the fact that you know people come forward a lot more. But 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 there's still not enough. Um, the amount of people that have you know spoken to probably myself and and John about cancer and about our, our ordeals, you know, has, has, has helped a lot, but it's still not enough. Um, and the more that we can do for for these type of things, you know, the better everyone, you know, we all thought as professional footballers, you know, that you, you, you're, you're immune and you're invincible, you know, but, you know, when you're talking about these illnesses, they're, they're, not, they're not necessarily selective, you know, just because you're a certain do a certain thing. It doesn't exclude you from 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 being being picked or or whatever it is for these for these illnesses. You know, um, and I, and I think that that that's the biggest thing is is if you have a problem, don't be don't be stupid, don't be naive. You know, go and get it checked as soon as possible, because more often than not, you know, the quicker you, the quicker you do, the better chance you've got of of coming out the other side. You know, the, the the less you do, unfortunately, the risk becomes substantially more that you might not make it to the other side. This is a, a question that, again, I don't want to put you in a position where you're uncomfortable to answer, but when you're going through courses yeah. of chemotherapy and you're struggling, do you ever for a moment think that you're never going to play football again? Or is, is, or is football the least of your worries when you're going through something so serious? To be honest, I... I... I didn't really probably appreciate how serious it was. So the the main thought at that time for me was was whether I was going to play football again. And it's only probably you know after that and when I probably you retire that you realise how 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 stupid that is. You know because obviously you have your family and you, and your your health is more important than football. You know and. I was my main thought really at that time was would I kick a ball again? You know, at one the, the scariest time for me was probably post operation um, where they I had a epidural for the for the pain relief before the operation, but unfortunately it didn't it didn't go it wouldn't go in into my spine where they wanted it to go in um, because it was too too it was too strong the spine so he ended up having to put it in a different area. Which, unbeknown to me, was that as I come up the operation, I didn't have any pain relief, uh, and and the pain that I was that I, that I was feeling was just was just like I would never wish anybody to go through it, no matter no matter how much, you know. Um, I didn't like anybody. It was it was excruciating. Um, my pain relief was from probably me me chest upwards, whereas I needed it from my chest downwards. Um, and that's when I had, you know, I was getting all kinds of then 
um, pain, pain relief in terms of morphine, um, tablets, and they were trying to get it into me as quick as possible because of the epidural never worked. And that it was only probably like an hour after the operation where my body just completely shut down because I'd had that much painkillers in my body. My body went completely numb. And that was the scariest moment because I, I, I literally thought I was paralyzed. Uh, and I, I did think then I'd never play football again. Only for the nurse just to say it was just a, it was a natural reaction because of that. I'd, had, I'd had so many painkillers uh, into my body in such a short space of time. Uh, but it wasn't until I'd say 24 hours where I, I started to slowly but surely get the feeling back into me. Into me, in, well, first my first feeling was my toe, and then it gradually started to wake up the body. But um, but yeah, it was, that was probably pretty scary. Um, but then after, afterwards you realise that you know football is even though you love it and it, and it is it is part of you it's not the be all and end all absolutely um, there is there is more to as we're seeing now you know with this coronavirus you were seeing that you know obviously all the football's being cancelled but the most important thing is that you know we, people's lives are than more than the game of football on a Saturday at three o'clock or Sunday. Absolutely, I, I totally agree with you, and I think football means a lot to so many of us, you, myself included. But as you've just said there, it's important that we realise that sense of perspective. And when it comes to serious illnesses like cancer, depression, the current situation with coronavirus, mm. it is important to remember that as much as we love it, it is a game, and that if we have to put something on hold for a few months, then it's absolutely worth it. Yeah, definitely. When you recovered from your your cancer battle, you were you were still at Celtic. You played under Martin and you when when obviously he came in. You won another couple of trophies. Yeah. What was Martin like to work with before you before we come to you moving on? Martin was amazing. Um, you know, he he's obviously started his 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 reign at at Celtic in such a in such such a strong. Uh, strong fashion and and you know that that last year where which which was to be mine obviously we did the treble you know that year and you know my I think everybody found Martin you know great to work with even though sometimes you know he was he was he was a different type of manager um, to what we had encountered and all he was you know in intense. Um, but relaxed and all, you know, he he could walk past you in the corridor one one minute, you know, and completely be in his own world, and then, you know, you're thinking you've done something wrong because he hasn't he hasn't said anything to you, and then ten minutes later, you know, you cross paths again, he's like, morning, Stubbsy, how are you? And you think, you know, it's a totally different person. Um, he's he was he was a brilliant motivator, you know, absolutely probably as probably the best I'd worked with in terms of motivating players. Um he had a he had a, a great blend and camaraderie amongst his, his coaching staff who who were who were all very different and all their own their own people but the the blend and the mix worked really well. Uh, with Steve Walford and John Robertson they they, they really had, you know, uh, a a great a great mix 
um, from that point of view. And obviously, you know, the players that he brought in um, to the club, you know, really did raise the bar. Um, but that, that last year, Martin, this, and this probably typifies Martin as a as a person, first and foremost, rather than as a manager. Um, I'd, I'd obviously become aware that Everton were interested. Um, and I went and spoke to Martin first thing, and I said, listen, I don't know what to do. And he went, he said, listen, I said, but Everton's my club. Since I was a boy, and it was a dream that I'd, that I'd, I'd always wanted to play for one day. And he just said, listen, there's a contract on the table for you there. He said, if, go and speak to Everton. He said, if it's not what you want, or it's, it's not what you, you, it's not right. He said, the contract will still be there for when you come back up. He said, I want, I want you to sign. He said, you know, I, I want you to sign the, the, the deal that's there. He said, but I understand, you know, you know the, the option that you have. He said, so go away, speak to them. If it's right, I understand. If it's not, it's there. And that, 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 you know, there's not many probably managers that would, that would, would say that, you know, to you. Um, but he was, he was, he was a brilliant guy. He was just a, a real top, top manager. Before we come to your move to Everton, two last questions on your time at Celtic. Who were the biggest characters during your time at Celtic? Because there were some big personalities in that dressing room. Um, probably the, the biggest. The biggest characters um, in terms of on the on the pitch were, you know, Paolo was a big character. Um, you know, Craig Bailey was 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 a big character. Davin Jackson was a big character, but some Tommy Johnson was another one. You know, but some of them would have been the characters and all off the pitch. Uh, in terms of you know helping with that team spirit, um, there is a difference you know between between the two. Um, Henry grew into 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 you know a character, but you know from when he first came, um, you know the Henry that we we first seen a come in the door to the one when I left, you know was was like two different people. Um, and obviously, there's, there's, there's probably a confidence um, effect from that. From that, but but he had, he had a big effect on on the dressing room. Henrik and all. Um, Mark Rito was another one, you know, um, Danish international, but a great lad um, in terms of the dressing room and the respect that he had. You know, coming from West Ham, um, we we were lucky really because we had we had. A lot of people who were quite strong mentally, but from a character point of view, really seemed to hit it off in the in the dressing room. We didn't necessarily have that many bad characters. Probably the only one I think who was probably an awkward character was probably Ile Berkovic. Who not everybody was not everybody's cup of tea. Talented footballer, but he wasn't everybody's cup of tea. See, when you recovered from your your two battles with illness, one of the games that comes to mind is when you returned to, to action against Hibs. You came on as a sub in the second half and just I remember the reception yeah. being absolutely incredible from both sets of fans and you even got a goal in that yeah. game. How emotional was that for you and your family? Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it 
uh, it was to be honest it was when you when you you caught by surprise uh, in terms of the response from from everybody not just your own fans I think that's why why it was so emotional um, you know I, as soon as Martin gave me that the, the nod that I was going on um, it, it, it's as if it's like, like a build up of emotion what you've gone through you know from from at times thinking you know where are you going to die uh, are you going to pull through this is it your time to, to go to to coming through all that negativity and and seeing seeing the the, the light on through on the other side in terms of you know making that step back onto the pitch which at one at one point you didn't think you were going to do you know I, I I'll be honest and I'm not <laughs> not afraid to say it you know I definitely ha- had a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye you know doesn't I've got no no qualms in 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 admitting that. You know, even when I was running on, obviously, you know, the, the, the everybody in the in the stadium was on the feet. You know, giving me giving me a, a rapturous round of applause. It was it was very emotional, um, and one that I will always always remember. And, and to be honest, quite ironic now that my first club in management was 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 going to be was going to be Hibs and all. So it's weird the way <laughs> the way the way way life works at times. Last question on Celtic. What are your main highlights from your time at the club? We talked before you had, you went to Celtic. You said you you knew it was a big club, but until you got there, you maybe didn't appreciate the true magnitude of it, having been based in England. Yeah. But when you leave the club, what are your highlights of of, of playing for, for such a big club? I think I think the biggest highlight and the biggest accolade that I can I can say is that I had the privilege to be able to represent such an unbelievable club because there's not many people that that get the opportunities to play for great clubs at times you know and I'm fortunate that I can I can put myself in that I feel in that category to say that I played you know for me I played for a couple of great clubs uh, obviously Celtic being, being the first one and, Celtic, and Everton being the second one um, there's other clubs that obviously I played for you know and I love my time at Bolton uh, but you know Everton and, and and Celtic were for me two great clubs. It touches you. The, the, the clubs that really touch you when you go. You know you, you know you, you're different when you leave them. Um, you know people come to them clubs not necessarily a supporter, but you leave and you you have no you have you feel a, a sense of of gratitude that it never leaves you the club. You know, even to this day, when you go back, you're still looked upon as one of their own. People, you know, the, the the real great clubs, they never forget. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a special club. It really is. And you know, I was lucky enough to be part of of some some real good times there. Some some real special people behind the scenes. Not not what you you see, you know, on the face of it. You know, the from the from the kit lady Angie to to, the, to John Clark, the kit man, who was he obviously a Lisbon Lion and a legend and a, and a, and a, and a brilliant guy. Uh, to, to other people from the groundsmen, you know, to the to the kitchen staff, um, you know, they're just they're all they're all just great people, special people. 
from one truly wonderful club to another in Everton. I'm a football fan. I'm 24, Alan. I never got to be a professional yeah. footballer. But growing up, it's every young boy and young girl's dream to play for the club that they love. And you got to do that with Everton. Just how proud a mm. moment was it for you and your family to, to sign for Everton and put on that, that blue jersey and run out for the first time as an Everton player? It was it was one that you you're probably pinching yourself that that it's actually happened, you know, because it was something that I dreamt of as a as a as a real young boy growing up in Kirby, um, to you know to to one day hoping that you were you had the the opportunity to to play for play for your your boy your team, and I actually thought it had gone, I really do, um, you know, when I went to Celtic. You know, there was talk of me getting England caps and people saying it didn't help going to Scotland and stuff. And you know what? I'm not really that bothered about an England cap. It was never going to be, never going to define my career. It would have been nice, but, um, you know, it was more important to me now when I look back that I've you know, played for, you know, two two great clubs and um, Everton to achieve, to have achieved that to just make my debut and play for Everton was one thing but to actually captain the club as well you know was, was something that I'd, I'd never even never even dreamt of so to be able to you know to, to, to look back on that was 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 an incredible feeling you know I think I was I was I was very proud and uh, and over the moon that I've, I'd, I'd achieved that but the biggest sense of pride was was a was able for my dad to witness it, which was something that he'd always always wanted, you know, from from such a young age. And you know, you you, you tend to feel more satisfaction and 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 self pride from from the the feeling of others, you know. And certainly, my family to be able to to see me, you know, do that was was probably the greatest, you know, feeling that I'd, you know I'd come across. When you go to Everton you, during your time there, you work under two Scottish managers with incredibly high pedigrees. And first of all, Walter Smith, a Rangers legend, and David Moyes, who yeah. obviously played for Celtic at the very start of his career. What were both of those guys like as managers? Well, I think unfortunately Walter came at a, at a difficult period for Everton, where you know financially they were they were in the position where they find themselves in now, and it was it was a struggle and. And I think Walter coming from being so successful at, at, at Rangers, you know, where where they were very um comp- I want to say they were very you know, at the time affluent in terms of in the transfer market where they could go in and they could buy players, um, and more often get them. To go to Everton where you were struggling to and wheeling and dealing to to get players in and get players out. I think Walter found that found that very difficult, and um, Walter was a you know was a was a was a great great manager. There's no doubt about that. And I've, I would have liked to like to have seen him probably come to Everton at a different time where it would have been a lot easier to you know where Everton would have had a little bit more money to compete in the in the transfer market. But he he was he wasn't. Um, he wasn't given that opportunity, and and unfortunately, you know, he lost his job, 
not long after that. Um, but Walter, I think everybody knew that Walter was a good manager at Everton, but it was just the wrong time. Um, and, and it was the right place, but the wrong time for Walter. That's probably the best, best thing I can describe it. You know, it was it was the right club for him, but at the wrong time. Yeah. And in terms of David Moyes, what was he like? David was, well, he was a young um, young manager coming to Everton who, who was very focused. He knew where he wanted to go um, and he wasn't going to allow people to get in the way of that. Uh, he was very, very driven. Um, you know, he, when he came into the door, he was, you know, he was like a little bit of, like a bull in a china shop at the start. You know, he wouldn't take any prisoners and he was prepared to confront people. Um, and that was a, a good and a bad thing uh, at the start. He had a response to that at the beginning. You know, we got some, some much-needed results. Um, but then, you know, I think David quickly realised that he had a lot, you know, he had quite a few big personalities in that dressing room where that approach in terms of you know, confronting people, raising your voice, you know, going toe-to-toe with people wasn't necessarily not going to work. Um, and I think he he adjusted his style of management, you know, quite quickly after that. Um, and he, and he, he evolved. The thing about say about David is that, you know, tactically he was a very good manager. You know, he, he, had, he had a... He was probably better known as a more defensive coach, but very good with it. Um, and we started to gradually, you know, become more consistent in our in our in our results. You know, we were we were probably when he first came a bit of a yo-yo team, whereas the first season we just well he came in, you know, halfway through the season we did enough to stay up that season. And the following season we had a really good season. Then we'd have a, a difficult season where, you know, we just probably stayed up by, I think it was a, f- a couple of points. And then after that, he started to consistently, you know, put Everton in in and around that top 10. Um, and, I, and I think he evolved as a, as a coach and he realised that he couldn't be this open at them type of manager and in people's faces all the time, you know, and he started to, you know, you could see a different side to his management style, which I must admit was 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 something that he had to do um, to to become the manager that that he that he was he was then. I have to ask you about Wayne Rooney. Wayne's went on record and said yeah. that when he came through Everton, you were a a big mentoring figure to him, and you helped him out a lot. Just how good was he as a kid? Because he just exploded onto the scene. We've heard a lot about Wayne, obviously, you know, within the academy, and he was, you know, he was a 14-year-old kid playing in the under-18s, and, you know, there was a lot of lot of talk, not just locally, but nationally, in terms of, you know, he was obviously representing England at the time, and we'd, we'd got first-hand uh, glimpses of him when he, he started, well, for the start of introducing him, you know, drip-feeding him into training every now and then, and Walter was very good with him initially because he didn't want to throw him in at the deep end and where he could have easily done when he was under pressure. <clears throat> um, but, you know, it was more when 
probably David came where he started to become more involved, Wayne, and obviously in that Arsenal game, he's you know he has officially burst onto the scene with that goal, and it was basically no looking back then. And you know, I used to you know drop Wayne off and give him a, a few pointers here and there, and you know he was you could see he was going to be a real special talent, which which he obviously proved 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 that by going on to achieve what he what he did. Um, he was a you know, very down to earth lad. He was probably it was well, no probably. He was the most talented sixteen, seventy year old that I that I'd ever witnessed. Um and I and I think still to this day he still he still lives that. Um I just find it incredible that he hasn't been probably given the the acknowledgements and and the credit. For, for his career that he had, um, you know, I think there was always for me too many people to to pull him down when he was with England. When he basically carried England and carried Man United for certain for a number of years. Yeah. Um, but he always seemed to be the one. Whereas even even then there was other players in that team that should have been doing a lot more. You know, this was supposed to be the golden era. With the, with the, with your Lampards, your Gerrards, um, your Skulls, all these players, Ferdinand, Terry's, yeah, your Neville, Ashley Cole, you know, all these players in that team, and for some reason, it, Wayne seemed to get the most the most um, press coverage uh, and negative press coverage. You know, when you and you had so many, you know, real top top players in the team. Another character I have to ask you about is Duncan Ferguson, known as a fierce figure. What's yeah. Big Dunk like in the training field and to play with? Because he's just such an interesting character for so many fans up and down the country. I mean, we've seen him when he was interim manager at Everton recently and the passion he's got is just unbelievable. Yeah, I think with Dunk, I think, you know, Duncan was probably didn't get, I think, the credit for, for his playing ability that he should have got. You know, he was, I think, a much better player, a football player, than what people probably give him credit for. They just thought he was this big, big uh, strapping number nine. He used to barge into people, win his headers, you know, aggressive, you know, but he was actually a very good footballer uh, as well. Um, and the one thing for Duncan, unfortunately, was probably his, his injuries probably stopped him from being even more prolific than what, than what he was. In the end, you know, yes, he had a colourful colourful career, you know, on and off the pitch. Um, but I, I got on well with Duncan and Everton. You know, we we, we would, you know, socialise together, you know, quite a bit. And he was a, he's a once you got to know him, he was a, he was a very difficult um, personality than what people, than what people would have known. Um, so so yeah so he's he, he certainly was colourful um, he was he was a you know very strong in his gesture with 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 his with his with his thoughts I didn't think I didn't ever think I'd see him go into management I must admit I think it would have been the last thing he probably wanted to do you know when you when you see him as a player and I think he would be the first to admit that um, but you know he, he got a response out of Everton. You know, a couple of months ago, before Ancelotti came in, 
he, he basically gave Everton, you know, at that time what they were what they were lacking, and that was a bit of passion. Um, you know what he did wasn't wasn't weird and wonderful. He just got the team set up in a four four two system. You know, got them closing down, working hard, and and got the fans and all the club uh, together. You know, and, and he got a response out of them, which was which was which was which was brilliant, and you know, I'm delighted for him. One of the things that I think is important to highlight in this podcast is Everton over the last twenty or so years haven't won a trophy, but their most successful no. season at that time was finishing fourth in the Premier League. And I think a lot of people forget this. Yeah. You captained the team that season when they finished fourth. Just how proud are you of that achievement? Looking back on it now, considering it's been maybe fifteen or so years since that season, but yet it's still the club's best ever season um, for a long time in the Premier League. Yeah, well, I think it's you know it was a, it's the last time they've obviously qualified for the Champions League, and um, it has for, for the club Everton size. It's been too long uh, in terms of winning silverware, and I think the Liverpool fans have, are very quick to remind Everton fans of that, um, and and we're potentially just about to see Liverpool win their, their first Premiership for thirty years, and I think Merseyside, even though Liverpool have obviously won the Champions League, there's that. I think Merseyside now is starting to have a, a bit of a resurgence. Um, that year was a brilliant year. You know, we were we were the real underdogs that year. You know, to a, to a, to get a, a Champions League spot. You know, we were. I think we at that point we had the, we had the record for the most one nil victories in that season, um, and we weren't a team of what you would call high profile names. We were we were a real. Uh, hard-working, uh, disciplined, disciplined team, uh, and I had a great, a great, a great team spirit amongst us. And every time someone ritters off, ritters off, sorry, uh, it would just encourage us even more to prove people wrong. And you know, it was, it, it was, a, it was a great achievement. You know, when we did eventually, you know, get that fourth place. Um, to you know, but the only sad thing for me from that point of view was that, you know, I was to leave at the end of that season because, it, you know, I couldn't agree, you know, a new concept. Uh, but it was still it was still a great achievement. You know, there's no doubt about that. An incredible achievement. You mentioned there the fact that you leave the club, which shocked many people. And the, uh, uh, that mm. summer, and I'm sure it even shocked yourself at the time. You went to Sunderland yeah. and Sunderland's a great club. But looking back with hindsight, is that a move you, you maybe wish you didn't go there and maybe... Waited longer and assessed your options a wee bit further. Well, I think it was, you know, I, I was I was in negotiations with Everton for for a for a number of number of weeks and even even months. And I, and I've said this before was that you know I didn't I didn't want to leave and I don't think Everton wanted me to leave. But the fact that they only offered me a, a one year extension, I thought was was not right for for what we'd achieved that season. Uh, I thought that you know I wasn't. It wasn't about money, the contract. Um, it was just about the length of contract, and I I wanted a two-year contract, and the club wanted, would only give me a one-year contract. Um, and I I I felt as if they were playing on the fact that I was an Everton fan, and they thought, oh, Alan, he'll sign a contract. You know, we'll just get to the stage where. He'll just sign it because he's an Everton fan. 
and I didn't, I, and I didn't want to leave. You know, <laughs> far from it. You know, but I, I just, just didn't feel as if the contract reflected my contribution to the team that season. Whereas if, if it would have been a a player who necessarily wasn't from from the area or was a foreign player, I think potentially they would have offered them, you know, a two year contract. So that was the reason why why I didn't. And in the end, none of I didn't I didn't budge, the club didn't budge, uh, and we, we, we you know, we decided to go our own ways. Um you know, they rang me on the on. The, they gave me an ultimatum in terms of the date, which was which was right because it couldn't have carried on. And I thought the club just felt as if I was just going to sign it, and I, and I said no. I told you from day one, I wanted to see a contract. Um, we know this is not about money; it's just about the length. And um, and and I, and and then I said no. I said unless I said unless you come ring me with that say say they're going to give me a tier contract, then that's it. You know, and that was David Moyes, and he said, "Well, we we can't." So I said, "Okay then, I wish you all the best." Uh, and that's when I went to Sunderland, and you know, Sunderland, where it is, as you say, it's a it's a it's a, a great club, it's a you know, great fan base, great fan, great fans, but they just weren't, they didn't have enough quality in terms of you know trying to compete in the Premier League, and it was it was a very difficult you know first six months there, and. I got a, got a call, you know, off off Chibi Lumsden around December time, asking, you know, would you be interested in coming back? And I said, well, I said, Jimmy, you're asking a stupid question, of course, and I'd be interested in coming back. Uh, and I think some of them were happy for, you know, for me to to get me off the wage bill. They could see what was what was going to happen um, coming into the season. And then I, I, I re-signed for Everton in the January, and um, you know, after having a difficult first part of the season. We, we ended up finishing the season strong that season, not not because of me, you know, but it se- things seemed to seem to go well when it, when I came back. Now, be very honest, Alan. When you leave Everton to join Sunderland, did you think that was you, Everton? You would never be back as a player. Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, I was hoping that I was, I was going to be wrong, but you know, I did think that was that was you know going to be over. I, I'd had three years. Um, and three, you know, really enjoyable years, and I wanted more, but I thought I thought that was it over. Yeah. And when you get the chance to go back, because it is Everton, you mentioned when when Jimmy phoned you, you said, "Of course, I want to come back." And when you go back, David Moyes described you as an indispensable part of the team, and, and the functions yeah. improved. And going back to to the club that you support, was it just something that was a relief for you, considering that you never wanted to leave in the first place? Yeah, it, it was it was in a way, and 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 I think for for me personally, it was it was justifiable that you know I I would go on to spend another you know I think it was three years there after that, um, you know, and I, I, when we when we first spoke with David when I was coming back, you know, we, we agreed, we, you know, we shook hands and said, listen. I think we can agree that we were both wrong. Um, let's just move on, you know, and it's water under the bridge. And I was happy to do that. Um, I still think, you know, David was more wrong with me, and we have a little chuckle about it and all. But um, you know, I was just happy with the fact that I was I had, a, I had another opportunity to come back. 
I think one of the things that I want to highlight in the podcast as well is you're you're a player who <clears throat> is well respected in Scotland and very well respected at Everton and and to put that into perspective mm. for some people that are maybe a bit younger and don't don't remember you playing football and know you more as a manager. Julian Lescott came in to Everton that summer when you were there, billed as the next big thing, and you still maintained your place in the team, which for me, I know Julian went on to have a really good career as well, but for me that shows yeah. just how good you were in the sense that you were at the, the twilight stage of your career, but, but the manager still saw that you had the quality to stay in the team, even though he'd brought in someone who, as I say, was billed as the next big thing. Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, no, Julian was probably um, brought into because he was he was the next bit to take Everton on, you know, because David thought, well, our back line, myself and David's weird, you know, we we weren't getting any younger, um, and then obviously, and rightly as a manager, you do have to look at the next partnership or the next, you know, players that can that can take the club on, and but what 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 we found, and I think that David would be the same with me here, is that, you know. We just felt as if that was right. Okay, the goal, the goal that had been put down. You know, let's let's see whether they, we can they, we can challenge them. And it's it's bored, it's spared us on. You know, there's no doubt about that. It it definitely, you know, when it, when I seen them players come in, you know, I, for me it was it was about right. I'll prove the manager wrong. Then I'm worthy of my place. You know, I've still got I've still got a few years left in, in me yet. They're gonna have a fight on their hands if they if they think they're gonna replace me, you know. And and luckily enough, my, my my form was was still strong then, you know, in terms of the team. And you know, basically, I think the manager couldn't. I, I wanted to make it difficult, whereas the manager found it impossible to leave me out. And well, what we found is that you know, Jolene came in to, to obviously play centre back, and then in the end, the manager couldn't get him in the team, and he had to play him at left back. To start off, um, and to be fair to Jolie, and he, you know, he was Jolie was a great, a great guy in the dressing room, great lad. He was young, he wanted to learn, but uh, he, he, you know, he, he ended up doing really well at left back, and you know, he, it, it probably helped him and all, you know, a little bit, you know, from that point of view. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was a challenge laid down, and one that I was, I was, I was very happy to. To accept and you know and take on. How did the second spell at Everton compare to the first? Now I know there wasn't a big gap between the two spells, but just I'm interested to know in terms of when David Moyes came in. Obviously, we mentioned he was very young. He'd just come from Preston. By the time you went back for your second spell and towards the end of your second spell, he'd been there for quite a few years. Well, how did the how did both yeah. spells compare? Well, I think the, the first one you probably can best best describe in terms of well that was. That was more about, you know, the, the satisfaction from from actually signing for Everton. Um, the the second time was 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 more about the club had, had moved on and they were starting to become uh, a team that was challenging for for Europe more consistently. Then, you know, so I think what we found is that we were starting to see a because Everton was starting to, you know, David's transfer. Um, windows were were very good. There's no there's no doubt about it. You know, he overachieved in the transfer windows because he brought in some some really good players for for not a lot of money. 
and the quality of the of the squad started to started to raise, uh, especially in midfield attack, attacking areas, um, which 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 helped the team and and give them a platform to to go on and and you know challenging the Premiership for for them European places. In terms of the end of your second Everton spell, you 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 leave the club and you go to Derby County, who were in a difficult. Sorry. Sorry, I lost you there for a little bit. Sorry, um, you you mentioned the second spell there. Both spells at Everton over the piece were were very good, and towards the end of your spell, like any player, as you as you get older, you want to play first team football week in week out, and you get a chance to move to Derby yeah. County, who were in the Premier League. It was a, they were a team who were really struggling at that time, but was playing first-team football at the highest possible level the motivation for that move? Yeah, it was. It was, literally, in a nutshell. It was, you know, I was I was starting to not play consistently, you know, week in, week out at that time at Everton. And, and I think, you know, Jolie was in the team. You know, we had a Nigerian international, Joseph Yobo, was in the team then and all. Um you know, so my, my 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 chances were starting to get less and less, and the opportunity came with Derby, and um, I spoke with David, and he said, "Listen, I've had an offer from from Derby, and you know, he was he was great about it. You know, told him what the deal was, and he said, listen, go go and take it.' You know, it was an extra eighteen months on on good money, um, and and that was that really. You know, the next. The next thing I was, you know, sign of the derby, and unfortunately, it didn't last as long as what I wanted. You know, my knee was starting to give me a few problems, um, and unfortunately, my time there, you know, didn't didn't last very long. And and it was a really good club, and all, you know, I I was actually enjoying it there at the time. Um, but you know, I ended up only, I ended up probably. Retired and then in, in the, I think it was the October November time. You know, after only signing, and I think in in the in the July or something like that. In terms of that time, one big character I have to ask you about before we come to your retirement from the game was is Robbie Savage. He's obviously on the telly a lot. Big character. What was he like in around the dressing room, and what was his ability like as a player? Um, ability as a player, I think he was he was. He was a, a player that that worked hard. I think technically he wasn't he wasn't the best player that I'd, that I'd played with. Um, but Robbie was, you know, probably best thing to go. But Robbie Robbie was fine when he was playing. Uh, when he wasn't playing, you know, he was he was. Um, I think he found it difficult to appreciate that other players were in the team before him. Because he, he felt as if you know probably being Robbie that he he was better than the players that were in the team in his opinion. Um, so I'd say at times he was probably not the best team player when he wasn't in the team. In terms of that spell at Derby, you mentioned the club get. Relegated from the Premier League, you want to keep going even though they're in the Championship, but you've got a recurring knee injury that ends up calling time in your football career. How hard is it when it comes yeah. to retirement as a player? 
Because obviously you've got it in your mind. You still know how to play the game. Your 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 mind reading the game the same way it always did, but your body's starting to to break down for want of a better phrase. Yeah, I think that I think because I was at that st- at that age in terms of you know I think I was coming for thirty seven, thirty six, thirty seven when I was when I was looking at retiring. I think it's 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 easier to accept. You know, the one thing I didn't want to do, I didn't want to just keep playing for the sake of it and dropping down the divisions and, and knowing that, you know, you weren't uh, able to to play at a level that you, you felt as if you wanted to. So, you know, after having the discussion with, with the manager at the time, uh, Paul Jewell and, and his assistant, Mark Seagraves, and, and even the, the chief executive there, um, I think it was um, Mr. Pearson. I think his name was. Um, they were they were great, you know, in, in in terms of you know the advice that they that they, they said. You know, they wanted me to to stay and see whether it got better. But I knew it wasn't going to get better. Um, and then I, I decided that was it. And um, luckily enough for me, you know, I, I went into Everton, you know, a week later and. By chance, spoke with you know David was passing, and he asked me you know what 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 to, and I just said you know I'm just coming to get a, a signed shirt, and then we had a conversation a couple of hours later about you know my next next steps, whether I wanted to go into coaching, and he said well listen there's a, there's a role here for you if you want to come in and do some coaching. So my retirement wasn't very long really. <laughs> so we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea. Even our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make her 